0: Called Don't Worry, Be Happy was written or at least uh, put out by Bobby McFerrin. Here's a few words of that song. Here's a little song I wrote. I'm not going to sing it (laughs) because I wouldn't want him to look bad. You don't think I could outshine Bobby McFerrin? (laughs) Uh, You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry, be happy. I hope this rings in your ears all day. In every life, we have some trouble, but when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry, be happy. Ain't got no place to lay your head? Somebody came and took your bed? Don't worry, be happy. The landlord said your rent is late? He might have to litigate? Don't worry, be happy. And it's such a phenomenon that dead fish mounted actually sing this. Have you seen that little bass mounted? Dead? Not real. But there it is. And then partway through the song, it turns its ugly face to you and starts singing Don't Worry, Be Happy. You've seen it. It's all good. <laughs> it reflects kind of a um, que sera sera type of attitude. What will be, will be. It's not the worst way to navigate through life. Right? Like there are worse ways to navigate through life. You could just kind of be sulking up and upset all the time and let every, every downturn make you... Uh, miserable, but I want to tell you there's a better way. There's a better way to make it through life than don't worry, be happy. If there were some way to know how the end works out, it would help us not to allow the twists and turns of life to cripple us. If you think about it, sometimes it's the twists and turns of a journey that make it the most memorable. When everything goes smoothly, yeah, you can remember those things, but when there's some twist and turn in the midst of your journey, when you look back years later, the reason you remember these things is because there were some interesting elements of it that made things not go the right way, and then, and then you can look back um, in, in fondness at those days. What if you could know for sure that your ultimate goal of becoming a state police officer will come to pass? Or uh, your goal to be successfully operating a business? Or to become a nurse? Uh, What if your goal was to become a professional football player and you knew at the end of all of your efforts it was going to come to pass? Whatever it is, whatever it is your ultimate goal, if you know ahead of time that all the blood, sweat, and tears would pay off in the end, um, it would help you. It would help you through the uncertain times to endure and even to embrace the difficulty in the midst of the journey. I propose to you that in many ways, Solomon is doing this to us about life in Ecclesiastes 8. He's letting us know there's an end, there are a lot of ups and downs, a lot of difficulties along the way, but the end will be okay for some of us the end will be okay and it makes the journey endurable and it makes the journey interesting in verses 1 through 9 he's going to tell us that wisdom helps us live under authority wisdom helps us live under authority he'll tell us that in verses 1 through 9 and then in verses uh, 10 through 13, he's going to tell us that wisdom prepares us for death. And then in the last section, verses 14 through 17, he's going to tell us that wisdom helps us live through the anomalies of life, the things that we can't quite figure out, the things that don't go the way that we think they should. Wisdom will help us to navigate through this. Five times in this chapter, He's going to use the word wise or wisdom. He uses it twice in verse one. Look what it says. Verse one: Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his heart, uh, of his face is changed. So he uses wisdom and wise twice there. Verse five. Verse five: Whoever keeps a commandment will know no evil thing, or will not experience the evil of a thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. So he talks about the wise heart there. Now uh, look at verse 16. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on the earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. See wisdom again. Verse 17 also contains wisdom. It says, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out, even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. So wise and wisdom used five times in the chapter. And two times he uses this expression, and it's, I think, important for us. Look at verse 9. Verse 9. He says, All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun. He's he's trying to grapple with life. He's trying to understand life. He says it again in verse uh, 16. Take a look there. 16. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on the earth. This is two times now he said this. And he comes to this conclusion in verse 17. I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out. Man cannot, cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out, even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Go ahead and say you can figure it out. You think you know, but the reality is, you really don't. If we said, okay, thanks for coming, go home, you would feel a little, like, cheated, wouldn't you? There's so much more to this chapter than those things that leave us empty. In verse 12, there's an entirely different note. And the note that sounds in chapter 12, now I'm mixing my metaphors here, I'm saying the note, but it's like you're in a tunnel, buried in a tunnel, and you can't figure out the way out, and you see this little beam of light coming through. Verse 12 serves as that beam of light. Oh, there's something here. Wisdom helps us in this life. Wisdom doesn't answer all of life's problems. But there's something in the midst of Ecclesiastes chapter 8 that is going to help us to navigate rightly through life. Look at verse 12. He says, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, that's one of the anomalies of life, Yet I know. Stop right there. Yet I know. He uses a special Hebrew word, yada. Yada means this, to know. It's a special word, isn't it? Tough to comprehend. Previously, you'll see Solomon writing things like, I saw, I observed, I sought, I'm striving to understand. And yet in verse 12, this this ray of light comes beaming through. This is something I have great confidence in. This is something I know. Verse 12, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before Him. Solomon's advice in this chapter will not be, "Don't worry." And I did it. Be happy. That's not it. It's not it. He's not telling us to whistle by the graveyard, pretending it's not there and that death doesn't exist. Instead, Solomon's advice for us will be this: Take a good look at the graveyard. You'll be there soon. Look, see that gravestone? See that name? See those dates? One day, you'll have one of those gravestones and your name will be chiseled there and the dates will be recorded there. You will come to this day. You might want to prolong your days like a shadow, but know this, night will come. And where there's no light, there's no shadow. There's a day where your shadow will disappear. It's true for you. It's true for me. It's true for everyone. So Solomon's going to give us some wisdom about life. In the first uh, paragraph, verses 1 through 9, he's going to give us some wise counsel about dealing with life under authority, even oppressive authority. Uh, It's important to understand the kind of authority he's talking about. Look at verse 9. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun. When man had power over man to his hurt. The word power is a dominion or authority. The, the word is used in uh, Nehemiah 5.15, uh, Esther 9.1, and then three times in the book of Ecclesiastes, all talking about authority. Authority. And so he's talking about having an authority over you that has power to hurt you. That's the context of verses 1 through 9. So when we talk about having wisdom and living in that wisdom under authority, we're talking about an authority that has, has real, true power. Let's read verses 1 through 9 in their context and then we'll try to work through it. Verse 1 Who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's Wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Or you could read that, because of the oath of God. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man. To his hurt. As we look at the advice, the big picture of advice from Solomon, that is, there's a graveyard and one day you'll be in it. Learn from this. He says, between now and then, you may have oppressive authority over you. Deal wisely in that situation. That authority holds all the power earthly speaking. You may be able to influence that authority, but don't be willing to die on every hill. Yes, be concerned for the needs of mankind that are under his authority, but know the proper time and season for approaching the one who has power to cause hurt. You do not know how it will all work out, and you do not know and control your own destiny. That was my, that was my uh, paraphrase of verses 1 through 9. Wisdom helps us live under authority. We have to move with this, uh, move quickly through this. I've been, I've been wrestling with this text for quite some time, and there's so much here that we could exhaust, and we can't exhaust all of it, so we'll just have to hit and move through some. The first item that we want to notice under this heading, Wisdom Helps Us Live Under Authority, is wisdom can put us in position to influence authority. Verse 1. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the, uh, the hardness of his face is changed. As you think of this, the there's a biblical illustration that would come to our mind. And his name is Daniel. Daniel in the land of the Chaldeans. He and his friends taken as youths and given a portion of the king's meat and drink. And you'll remember the wisdom with which they operated through that situation where they approached appropriately the authority over them to ask for and propose a situation that would enable them to keep the law that they felt strongly to keep while also being in adherence to the authority in their lives. And you'll notice at the end of the period of time of their testing that their countenance was Um, greater than that of their companions. God caused their face to shine in a certain way. And you'll remember in chapter two of the book of Daniel that when there was a need for interpretation, guess guess what ended up happening? God gave Daniel an interpretation and raised him up in the presence of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Wisdom. Sometimes God will give us a position to influence authority and In that circumstance, there is a very important way to navigate. Being abrasive and bold may have its proper context, but operating in wisdom is always necessary. As we move a little further in the text, wisdom tells us to live under the rule appointed over us. Verse 2, I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Again, I told you already in, in the first reading through, it could be read because of the oath of God. It's very ambiguous in the Hebrew. I would tend to read it because of the oath of God rather than because of God's oath to him. Keep the king's command because... God has entrusted to you a responsibility underneath the authority of those that he has appointed over you. And you can see that illustrated in Romans 13.1, which will be on the screen to my left and right. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. This is regularly brought to our attention. It's also mentioned in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. That's in the governmental sense. In, in the book of Colossians chapter 3, in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, in the book of Titus chapter 2, in the employment type of sense, it is brought to our attention that there are authorities over us. And the Bible in those texts, both Romans 13, 1 Peter chapter 2, Ephesians 6, Colossians 3, and Titus 2. In these places, God tells us to place ourselves underneath the authority that's over us. Operate wisely for the sake of your boss, for the sake of the government, or for the sake of the Lord. For you serve the Lord Christ. It's not doing um, I service to men as pleasures of men, but it's in obedience from the heart as you serve the Lord. See, God is giving us this insight. Keep the king's command because of the oath of God. We move a little further in the text, verses 3 and 4. We'll notice this. Wisdom tells us not to storm off in protest or die for every cause. Verse 3. Be not hasty to go from His presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause. Why? For He does whatever He pleases. The King does whatever He pleases. For the word of the King is supreme. And who may say to Him, What are you doing? So we see this passage, and it gives us this very clear, Okay, the King is talking. And you disagree with him. And you're like, I'm not doing that. You walk out. Uh, You know what you just did? You just signed your own death warrant. You're in big trouble. It also says, don't take your stand for an evil cause. Does that mean don't take your stand for any cause? It doesn't say that. If you're going to be persecuted in 1 Peter chapter. 2 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 4. If you're going to be persecuted, make sure it's because you're doing what is right. Be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Be insulted for the name of Christ. Do it because you're doing good. Be persecuted. Don't take your stand in an evil cause or a worthless cause. Take your stand in a cause that makes sense. Why? Well, because. The king does what he pleases, and his word is supreme. Well, Romans 13 addresses that as well in Romans 13 too. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur what? Is that wisdom to to recognize that you may be judged for disobeying the word of the king? This is just common wisdom. Solomon is saying, listen, these are some common sense things to do when you're under authority. Don't be a bonehead. Thank you, Solomon. I appreciate your uh, 21st century uh, speak here. We move a little further in verses 5 and 6. Wisdom tells us that there is a proper time and a proper way to obey and resist. Wisdom tells us there's a proper time and a proper way to obey and to resist. Verse 5. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. In other words, you're not going to bring judgment on yourself if you're keeping the command, right? It's pretty easy. Let's move a little further. The wise heart will know the proper time and the proper way. So, in accordance with the things that are being called to do, the things that are right, do them. Do them well. Do them exactly like you're told, as long as it's right, as long as it's proper. Verse 6. For there is a time and a way for everything... Although man's trouble lies heavy on him. There's a lot of ways to read this. My my inclination, the way that I want to read it, because it would preach really well, is man's wickedness weighs heavy upon him. So you don't even have enough sense to know when to to stand on an issue because you're you're, you're tainted by your own wickedness. I, I would like to read it that way. It can be read that way. Um, more likely you've got this person that's standing in the presence of a king. He's there kind of as a a representative of the people. The king is making proclamations. The heaviness of man's trouble that the king's word is about to enact are bothering you. You're like, okay, if he makes this decree, all of these people are going to be Bothered by it. It's going to be power to their hurt. The the trouble of man is weighing heavy on you, is the idea. There's a proper time and a proper way to say, Sir, this this is not really a good decision. There's a proper time and a proper way to humbly and rightly confront a problem. This is the idea that Solomon is conveying here. Wisdom helps us to navigate through life under oppressive authority. No punishment will come your way when you follow the rules, verse 5, right? Um, And Romans 13 tells us that in verses 3 and 4. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Why would you, uh, excuse me, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. Then the other side of it, when you confront it, when you have a problem, but if you do wrong, be afraid, and he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. There's a proper way to handle a disagreement. Now, again, we'll go to the book of Daniel for this. When you get to Daniel chapter 3, there's a A monument, a large monument set up. It's a golden monument for Nebuchadnezzar. And everyone in the kingdom was supposed to bow down. Here you are, a faithful adherent to the law. Can you bow down? Can you bow down? can't bow down. So here's what you could do. Number one, I'm not bowing down. I will bow before no man. You could do that. Or you could just not bow. And that's what that's what the men did in Daniel chapter 3. They humbly resisted. Now you know the rest of that story, right? They were thrown into the fiery furnace. I see four men. I only threw in three. And that one is like the sons of the gods. They're, they're moving around like nothing. They're not hurt. What's going on? Let's let them out. The guys go to Take them out, bad news, they come out unsinged and not even smelling like fire. They resisted the appropriate way. There is is a point that we need to stand for truth. But we have to make sure when we stand against the authority that what we're standing for is clearly necessary. Which brings our minds to another illustration. The apostles, they had seen the resurrected Christ. They had followed him all through his earthly ministry. Their job was to proclaim the risen Christ. They were brought before magistrates and beaten. They were imprisoned for periods of time. And then they were said, All right, we're going to release you, but don't you anymore speak in the name of Christ. What did they do? What they do? They spoke in the name of Christ, because that's the call. And they weren't even hiding it, right? Um, when, when confronted, Peter said, uh, and the apostles, we must obey God rather than man. In doing this, be careful. Because you don't know the end of the situation, verse 7. You don't know what's going to be next. You don't know how it's all going to work. You don't know if if your intervention is going to result in something good. You don't know. And you don't have control over your own destiny, verse 8. No man has power to retain the Spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war. When you're in the middle of fighting, you can't throw down your weapons and say, "Ah, I quit. I was only kidding too late. It's too late. You don't have control over these things, and wickedness will never deliver those given to it. So Solomon's thinking through life, and he's thinking through situations when people are under authority, and, and and he says, here's some wise words. It's not going to rescue you, however. It's not enough. Wisdom helps us live under authority. As We move to the next Portion. The next paragraph, verses 10 through 13. Wisdom prepares us for death. Look at verses 10 through 13. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his days, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before Him, but it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will He prolong His days like a shadow because He does not fear before God. He brings us to a cemetery. Notice He saw the wicked buried. Not just a person buried. He saw the wicked buried. Yet in this wicked man's burial, or woman's burial, People are praising him. He was pompous in life. He would go into such and such a city and everyone thought well of him going into the holy place. Going to the holy place? He says he's wicked. He's wicked. And yet, he puts on non-wicked apparel. And yet, the fact that he was wicked and pious in life, people continue that pompousness in praising him in his death. What kind of person is he? He's wicked. And his wickedness encourages others to follow in his footsteps. Verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. He lived a long life, and he's praised in his death. I can live a long life, and I can be praised in my death. But this is just surface. This is just what we see with the naked eyes. There's more to the story. There's a lot more. What about after death? With all of Solomon's pursuits in this book, he says regularly, he observed, he saw, he sought. But here he says, I know, I know. Verses 12 and 13. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will, it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. You can try to prolong your days, but eventually the shadow disappears. You see this in Psalm 102.11. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. In Psalm 109.23. I am gone like a shadow at evening. I am shaken off like a locust. In other words, life will end. Praised in life, praised in death, but what about on the other side of the grave. Then what? Well, we know what the Bible says in Hebrews 9, in verse 27. It is appointed for man to die, what? Once. And say the rest with me. And after that comes judgment. We'll come back to this in a couple of moments. Third paragraph. Last paragraph. Verses 14 to 17. Wisdom helps us live through the anomalies... Verse 14, there is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun, nothing better under the sun, but to eat and drink and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night does one's, uh, do one's eye see sleep, then I saw all the works of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much he may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know it, he cannot find it out. Observing life, good things happen to bad people. And the servants of the Lord experience hardship. Hard to figure. Verse 15, when we know the end, we don't have to fret at every twist and turn. Enjoy the good things that God entrusts you through the toil of your journey. Verse 16, the pursuit of understanding life gives restless days and sleepless nights. And verse 17, as wise as you are and as much experience as you have, you will not be able to explain all there is to know about this life. You can claim to know it, but you know better inside. So there may be wicked rulers, there may be pompous people who do wrong things, there may be people who abuse themselves and others who live long and prosperous lives. The onlooker can have two views about this. Number 11, verse 11, excuse me. Verse 11. Here's one view we can take. Because the sentence of an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. We can set our hearts to do evil and try to squeeze Out of life, all we can get, live it up. Then he choose that route. It's the road commonly traveled. It's the broad, wide road that many traverse. And they experience the difficulty of that road down the road. Or, that's one, that's one way. There's another way. There's a better way. Verses 12 and 13, we can realize that there can be an eternity of joy and an eternity of joys when we place ourselves under the sovereign rulership of God. Again, verse, verse 12. Though a man, though a sinner, does evil a hundred times and prolongs his days, yet I know that it will be it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. Look the, the, the way he expresses this. There's a, a reverence before. There's a placing at the feet of. There's a, a reverence that is described in this one whose, th- whose end will be well, verse 13, but it will not be well with the wicked neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. With option two, fearing before God, there's an eternity of joys that await us and and a promise of temporal joys in the toilsome pathway toward the end. That's what verse 15 tells us. While the The wicked receive the deeds of the righteous seemingly on earth. And sometimes the people that are the righteous ones, the the redeemed of the Lord, experience the difficulties of the wicked. I know this. I commend joy. Enjoy the things that God has given to you on this earth in the days He's entrusted to you. Enjoy it. There are joys to be had in the midst of this journey. The question that has to be answered, it's vital, is why will it be well for those that fear before God? What is the reason that there can be a confidence that our lives will end well? We might not have every twist and turn go our way, but the end is all set. How do we know this? What is our confidence there? Take a look, please, with me at Revelation chapter 20. It'll be well for those who fear the Lord. First of all, because we know there will be a judgment day. There will be a judgment day. And in Revelation chapter 20, this is the last book of the Bible, look at verses 11 through 15. The Apostle John, inspired by the Spirit, writing the vision that God gave him, He writes, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, big and tall, smart and not, wealthy and not. I saw all of them, great and small standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. Listen carefully. And the dead were judged. The dead were judged by what was written in what? The books, plural, according to what they had done. So what are they being judged? According to their works. Verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged. He's reiterating. Each one of them. According to what? What they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in what? The book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So, are there some in this concept that are not thrown into the lake of fire? Yes. The ones whose names are written in the book. Everyone else is judged according to The books. And the books contain what? The records of what they had done. This is why Solomon can clearly say, clearly say, it will not be well with the wicked. They will be judged according to their deeds. And their deeds are wicked. They will spend an eternity paying for their wicked deeds. But there's this other group, the ones whose names are written in the book of life. These are the ones who have been redeemed. These people, all of their deeds have been cast upon Jesus who became sin for us. He bore sin. The guilt of sin. The debt of sin. And the consequences of sin on the cross. The books for us do not read our wicked deeds. They read something else. Take a look at the screen here. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. When Jesus took my sin upon Him, He paid the debt For my sin. He was attributed with my sin. He paid for my wickedness. And when I turned from my sin and turned to the Savior, and God declared me righteous, that's called justification, God granted to me the righteous deeds and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Why will it be well with those who fear before God? The one that fears before God knows that God's word is true. The one that fears before God recognizes themselves to be a sinner, recognizes I deserve what happened to the rest of those that were in Revelation 2011. I should have my books opened, and I should be judged according to those books. And I too should be thrown into the lake of fire that burns forever and ever. That's what I deserve. That's my rightful place. And yet, in the abundant mercy of a glorious God, He rescued me. And He took my sin and placed it upon His Son who paid a just... Payment for my sin. Fearing before God says, I, I believe what you say, Lord. My sin should condemn me, but Jesus paid the debt. So I turn from my sin. I turn from my sin and I turn to Jesus Christ and I, and I come to Him as He beckons me. And I believe Him as He beckons me. And I do what the call of the Gospel is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be Saved! This is what happens when a person fears before God. They recognize God to be true and right and fully authoritative and us to be underneath His authority and doing as He says we should. And so we turn from our sin and we turn to Christ. We receive forgiveness of our sin and righteousness that lasts forever. Righteousness that could never be condemned. Righteousness that could never be questioned because it's not mine. When we do good, sometimes you can look back and say, I was doing good for all the wrong reasons. Never could that be said about the righteous requirements that Jesus met. He always did what was right and pleasing in the eyes of the Father. And when we are granted His righteousness, it gives us a standing with God that could never be questioned it will be well. It will be well for those who fear before God. So my first question for you is, right now, do you fear before God? Do you recognize Him to be the sovereign, authoritative, ruler of everything? Do you? Do you see your sin as condemnable? And thus see yourself as worthy of condemnation? I do. A person that fears before God would never say I can justify myself with my actions. Because a person that fears before God sees the incredible purity of who he is and the complete righteousness of what he does and says, I can never compare. I can never meet that standard. Do you fear before God? Have you turned from your sin? Have you turned to Christ for salvation? Do you fear before him? It will be well with you if that's the case. And so, if we know the end, that it will be well, and oppression comes our way, and the wicked prosper, and we receive what we consider to be the deeds of the wicked, the rewards of the wicked, and your life twists and turns, it goes up and it goes down, there are good times and bad times, difficulties and joys, when that happens, but you know the end, you don't have to whistle by the graveyard and pretend it won't happen. You can say, yeah, my name is going to be written there. I will have an end date. And when I do, hallelujah, I'll be with Jesus forever. And joy will be unending in the process. Right now, as the things turn left, right, up, down. It's all right, Lord. I'm going to remember this. I'll be able to look back and see what you did with this. This is, this is part of the journey. Enjoy the good things that He entrusts to you during the days that are under the sun. And you can do that because you know what lies beyond the sun. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You haven't left us to our own devices. You haven't left us to figure out life on our own that would have been disastrous for us as Solomon figured out quite well. You've given us wisdom by your spirit and through your spirit's work in the life of Solomon with all of the wickedness and foolishness he involved himself in, things that we would never give a stamp of approval to and and you certainly don't but you in your unbelievable sovereignty have used his wickedness to result in such wisdom for us Don't know how to live. And so we thank you. We thank you for how you use his sin to inform us never to follow suit, to seek meaning where meaning cannot be found. Help us to rest confidently in what you've provided for us through Jesus Christ to know that it will be well with us in the end, and to enjoy the journey seeking to exhibit wisdom in the turns and twists of life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs)